0: Hallelujah. We're going to start in Galatians 2 today. I wasn't planning on this, but this week God's been just kind of giving me glimpses of uh, the way I can word it is God working through me. And basically he was just this week reminding me that he wants his love to work through me and in me. He wants his power to work in me and through me. And as Gary taught this morning on that subject, I thought, well, I'll just jump on board with that. And Gary brought up the verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And I have been crucified with Christ. So this is Paul. I've been crucified with Christ. So you can say that as well. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. Yes, we got some obedient people here. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul makes this statement that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I think we'll be going for a good trillion years before we may even get a glimpse of what, how much of a miracle it is that God was able to allow us to be born again. You know, they say there's, there's more suns or stars in the universe than if you collected all the sand on every beach in the earth and took one grain of sand and that equaled one star. There's more stars in the universe than all the sand, the single sands. Uh, in the whole earth on on the beaches, and so the creativity for God to make the universe is pretty pretty impressive, but I believe the creativity it took to legally allow us to be born again is a hundred times fold the creativity it took to create our universe, and it 's God, so it 's not that hard for him, but for us to even comprehend what salvation brought to us is going to take us a long time. But it doesn't mean we don't have to walk in it. Who's smarter than God to make a way for you to be born out of one species, the human race, and born again into another species, the children of God? Who's smarter than God to make that happen and allow you to still be there? You know, when I was born again, I remember going to the altar kneeling down, and I remember something, I could feel something, I didn't understand everything, but I felt something change in me. And I knelt down as Alan, but that's really the day I died. Alan died that day, and I was resurrected in newness of life, a new creature. Now, as believers, we like to confess that and say that, but even try to identify with it. I hate that word. I really hate that word, Identify. You know, I identify with, I'm a child of God. My identity's in Him. I understand that, but there's a transformation that can take place where you can walk like that and not just identify with it. Like, it's a moment choice. Like Gary said, go tell a butterfly not to fly. You say, well, hold on, i got to find it. i got to identify with it. He was talking about transformation this morning, about going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, the metamorphosis. But the transformation that took place for that caterpillar to go to a butterfly, was he had to go to a cocoon. And in the cocoon, his body dissolved itself and reemerged as a butterfly. And that many of us are in that stage of transformation. And it's what many believers stop at, because it is difficult. It is a dying to the old man. And you're still wearing the old body that you're trying to devalue in the kingdom of God. And your outward man is trying to find value in the kingdom of God. Hey, I'm worth something. And your outward man, this flesh that you're wearing, God did not save you from the flesh. It's your job to mortify the flesh. There will be a day when your outward man is quickened, like your new nature was. Your outward man is changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, and we'll have an eternal body, amen? And that body will be with us forever, and we won't have sickness or disease or sorrow, or envy, or strife, or jealousy. You know, there's a story of a guy in Canada. He was shoveling the snow off his driveway. If you're not familiar with that, if you're from the South, in Canada or up north, if it snows in during the winter, where I was raised, it started to snow in October. And then sometimes in August it would snow. But the snow in October would stay. And it would stay all the way through May, uh, April, May. and And so... We had snow on the ground, so it was white from October to April, sometimes May. Just white. You'd have sunny days, but everything was white. The snow wouldn't disappear. And so if you don't take your shovel and shovel off the snow, it piles up and turns into solid ice. And then by the end of the winter, you're having a difficult time parking. So you get out and you shovel the driveway. Well, there was a man who went out, and he was shoveling his driveway, and he had a heart attack out and, and died right there in his driveway. And that happens a lot in Canada. Guys get out and try to shovel too hard and they have a heart attack. And because uh, it just so much work, I guess. And, and praise God, a couple of medics were walking by on the sidewalk when he had the heart attack and, and brought him back to life. But in that moment, he said that he went from shoveling the driveway to instantly he was walking in heaven. And in that moment, he was walking around heaven. Now, in heaven, you're in your purest form. You know, you're glad you're there, <laughs> and, uh, but you're in your purest form. There's none of this world on you when you get to heaven. So let me ask you this question. When, you, when this man passed away, let's just accept that he's a Christian because he said he was in heaven. Now, what if he was still a mean Christian? You know Christians who are still mean? Some of you know them. Uh, maybe you know a Christian that's still selfish, you know, you go out to eat and they have alligator arms, is called. You know what that is? Short arms? Like, here's the bill and their arm only goes so far and, and they wait for you to pay for it. <laughs> you know, they're cheap and they're stingy. We know, all know Christians, and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, especially ourselves, but we all know Christians who are still what we would call walking in the flesh. Maybe legitimately, maybe they were hurt as a child or raised a certain way, and so they struggle with things in the flesh. So let's say this man on the way out to shovel the driveway, he's still born again, but he's maybe crude or rude or selfish or whatever, so he yells at his kids and barks at his wife and walks out and acts unchristian on the way out, but he's still saved. So you got a man who's maybe a little envious, a little jealous, a little untransformed, and he dies there on, the, on his driveway, and he's in heaven. Instantly, he's walking around heaven. So my question for you is, he may have been jealous when he stepped out of his front door to shovel the snow off his driveway, but in heaven, is, is there jealousy in heaven? Is he jealous in heaven? Is he envious in heaven? Is he selfish in heaven? Is he uh, angry in heaven? Can he find anger in him? Like why is he not why is there no sadness in heaven, envy, jealousy, strife in heaven when you're there and I'm there, we don't bring that with us. Why don't we bring our imperfections with us to heaven? Well, the answer is simple because the source of those imperfections are in your body, your natural body, this flesh. This natural body isn't just your fingers and your toes. It's your emotions, natural emotional setup, your natural mind. And so we have a natural mind and a, a natural body set of emotions that tries to tell us who we are. And when we're in heaven, we'll find out that that's not us. I wonder how much of our personality changes in heaven when we're not angry or jealous or doing things for selfish reasons anymore. Hopefully people will recognize us when we get to heaven because we haven't changed so much in in the in the going there. So let's take our man who's in heaven. He's in heaven. He just died. He's a little envious on this earth and selfish maybe. Maybe he cheated on his taxes. Maybe he had the short arm We went out to eat with some friends and he made them pay for it. And uh, not generous at all. But now he's in heaven and everything about him is pure and holy and godly because the source of it, his body, this flesh, is on this earth. So now... He gets brought back. The paramedics that are walking by, praise God, they brought him back. And now he wakes up and he's again, now all of a sudden, he's dealing with anger, jealousy. Well, wait a minute, I was just in heaven. I was in heaven. I, you know, there's no jealousy in heaven. He was only in heaven for a few minutes, brought back to this earth, and now he's dealing with it again. What happened? I got jealousy now. Why am I jealous? Why am I envious? I've been to heaven, I've seen God. But why am I still struggling with jealousy, envy, and strife, and feeling unworthy and and lack? Why? Because you're wearing a body. You are wearing a body, and your body has a voice. Your body will constantly, this outward man will constantly strive to get you to bring it into God's presence. Your body will constantly try to strive to get you to live a life where it has value. Where your body has value. That's why your body wants to be active for God. Your natural man. I'm trying not to say the word flesh because the word flesh can mean different things. And I'm trying to say the word body because when we say body, we also think of our fingers and our toes. But if I were to cut off your finger and just clip it off today, would you still be there? Are you still here but your finger is over here on the ground? So the finger isn't the the main part of your body. Your body also includes your natural mind, and your natural mind has plans and desires for you that were put into it by your family, by your upbringing, by your culture, by your past. Your natural body also has emotions, chemically based emotions. We have a a dog, we have a couple dogs, and our dogs are, they have personalities, and, you know, I have friends who have horses, and you would never guess. Horses have personalities. You know, one horse is nice, one horse is mean. It's amazing. And Well, dogs are like that, too. We have two dogs who are opposite when it comes to people. One, one barks for a minute, and then he goes in for the hug and the love from whoever you are. The other one, will, you can be friends of us for years, and he'll still bark at you. You know, it's like, don't you, like, Bobby will come over, and, and our dog will bark at Bobby for an hour it's like, you know Bobby. Like, why are you bothering on Bobby? Well, that, he's just a mean dog that way. And if you're not family, he, don't, he has no need for you. <laughs> well, we used to have two dogs. One was Maddie. Maddie was a little Yorkie. And she had long legs and could jump, really, and run. And we had another dog, Spencer, we called him. He was just a little short. He was a breeding dog because he was so tiny. So he didn't like to walk, and he couldn't jump for anything. And so what I would sit on the couch, Maddie, who loved me, would jump on the couch and sit on my lap. Spencer would try to jump on the couch, but he couldn't because he has short legs. So he would walk up to the couch, and he would look up, and you can tell he was finding a landing pad. And then he'd back up, and then he'd run as fast as his little legs could go and throw himself and plop onto the couch. And that's how he would get on the couch. Maddie would just hop on and off. Well, when Spencer would find his landing pad, he'd back up, if I was sitting on the couch, Maddie would go walk over to the landing pad and then block him from jumping on the, la- on the couch. And then she would turn her head the other way and act like she wasn't doing it on purpose. And I looked at that and I thought, well, there's jealousy, envy. There it is. Look at that strife. I said, I know people just like you, Maddie. But see, that's an animalistic trait that comes from the natural body. Well, where do you think your source of problems come, your source of unbelief, your source of frustration and struggle and envy and strife? It comes from this body that you're wearing. And unfortunately, God couldn't replace your body until the trumpet sounds because then he'd have to take you to heaven and you and I would be no good on this earth if we're not here. So the trumpet sounding is when we get the new body. So our job as a believer, we're stuck. We're stuck with this body that we inherited from Adam, from our family. And we carried it over through our salvation. Because I remember going to the altar, kneeling down, accepting Jesus, feeling something, but standing up and going back. And I still liked the same things. I still liked the same food. I didn't change in that moment naturally. I didn't forget my past. My past didn't just disappear. And I woke up and said, well, I'm a new creature. Who am I? Where am I? What am I doing here? Can you tell me my name? What am I? Where am I? Well, you know, you're Alan. You came to church. Oh, I did. I don't remember any of that. See, salvation is a a change of natures. You receive the new nature. And that new nature is in you, but you're still wearing the outward body. So a lot of Christians, what they do, they're like, as Gary said, caterpillars who are beginning to go through the stage of transformation. A caterpillar... All of a sudden starts to spin a little web and he goes into this cocoon that he made. He doesn't know why he did it. I love that he said that. He didn't know why he did it, but he just did it. Some of you are sitting here at the prayer center and go, I don't know how I got hooked into this place. (laughs) I remember looking at Pastor Dave one day when I realized that the message I learned from him brought me a lot of trouble. And I thought, man, I was groomed to be a mega church pastor. I mean, trained from 19 hanging around with men and women of maturity and, and who were skilled, and they poured into me, and then it's like all that became useless for what God has for me. And that's embarrassing. When you go down a path so far, then you find out, oh, this doesn't help with God's plan for me. So do I, what do I do with all that, God? Do I just chuck it away? Did I waste it? Was I wrong? Well, you know, however you want to word it, it's not going to help you if it's not in God's plan. And so there's a death in that, in a a humbling. And I remember, you know, all Dave taught was if you pray in tongues, it'll change you. And I wanted to change. So I started to pray in tongues. But then the Holy Ghost grabbed hold of me and began to lead me down this path of God's will. And all of a sudden I was, I realized, the day I realized I'll never have a mega church. (laughs) Not in the way I was trained. Because the message that I preach from my heart doesn't, tickle enough people or doesn't come across to enough people as a reason to want to come to my church. You know, someone said I was the death preacher too much. All you do is preach about dying and death and death. And and I said, well, that's because you think I'm talking about dying to something important. You're, You're dying to the things that aren't important. And so you come to this place where you have to accept what I can do in the flesh is okay. It's good, but it's not good enough for what God's plan is for me. God's plan for me is going to take the impossible, the supernatural. It's going to take God working through me and not me working for God. And so the flesh comes in to try to uh, create a religion that allows you to serve God and it doesn't have to die. Let me say that again because this is the sneakiness of the flesh. And and I don't have to say it comes from me because you wear a flesh too, so you understand that your flesh will always come in, your body, your natural body will always come in with its opinion. Hey, 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 I'd like to do, hey, hey, we should do this. And its opinion is always a way to walk with God without facing your cross. Because the cross to your inner man is exciting. But the cross to your outward man is death. <laughs> and it doesn't like the taste of death. Many Christians I've talked to that go through a season where they're like, man, I just I feel so bad. It just uh, and I says, well, it feels like you're you're grieving, right? Yeah, it feels like I'm grieving. It feels like a mourning all the time. Yeah, that's well, because your flesh is dying and it doesn't like it. You're grieving the death of something that you should be celebrating. So can you imagine? Here you are. You go into your cocoon, and you didn't on purpose do it. You just followed the Holy Ghost into it, and you start to make this cocoon where He starts to put you in this place where your outward man begins to dissolve. And the description Gary gave this morning was the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, and then it dissolves. It has some markers in it that that are butterfly markers. And the butterfly markers dissolve the caterpillar and then take the stuff from the, what's been dissolved and build a butterfly. So the, the butterfly comes out of the cocoon a butterfly that can fly. And it's been through the metamorphosis and the transformation. It now can fly because it's what it does. You don't have to have butterfly school teaching it how to be a butterfly. Well, when you're going through your cocoon, like when I told Pastor Dave, I, actually, I said... You know, curses, not curse, but curses, Pastor Dave. Like, I can't believe it. I was having my life set up. Everything was looking great. I had great plans. I had a great reputation, great ministry ahead of me. And then you told me to pray in tongues. And I prayed in tongues, and I had to shelve all that stuff to follow the path of the Holy Ghost. Now, he has a right to go and use that stuff. I don't have a right to go use that and try to incorporate it. Let me just stop here. Sometimes letting go of that stops many people because they don't want. It feels like such a loss. Like, man, I did this and this and this, and God's taking me down this different direction. And you feel like I don't want to let it go because I've invested so much into that. And uh, it's like the girl spends six years dating some guy. You know, I always love to make fun with people. Like, yeah, I've been engaged for six years. And any girl comes up to tell me that, I'll tell her, leave him. Go find a guy that can't wait to marry you. know, If you're engaged for six years, that's too long. That's going to be uncomfortable and cause situations. Get married. If you're going to get married, get married. I remember Christy and I got engaged, and she wanted a year of engagement. I said, oh, no, I'm ready. (laughs) You're the one. Let's do it. Three months, we had a wedding. You don't have to be what you think it is, you know. And uh, I don't know how they did it. They made it. Girls' idea of marriage is different than guys'. Guys, we just want to show up the next day. Most guys. Some guys may be a little weird, but most guys, they just want to show up. Hey, can we just get married and start living life as a married couple? You know, let's start the honeymoon. Forget the wedding. Let's start the honeymoon. And... Um, but girls, they've been thinking about it since they've been two years old. Their wedding, most girls, anyway, and they just insert the man into the their perfect picture. And so you got to get dressed up in a suit that she picks out. You got to wear a flower on your chest. You got to—it's—it's a way of man honoring their wife into the marriage. How do I get talking about this? I don't know. But a, you know, a girl says, i am engaged for six months, and finds out the guy she's dating is a, a dud. He's no good for her future. Well, let him go. Say goodbye. Let him go. Take all the old pictures, all the old love letters. Throw them away. Have a burn party, whatever you need. Move on to the better guy that God has in store for you. And so many of us, because of our investment into the past, we treat our future the same way, we try to bring the past in. It's like a girl going to the wedding and bringing her her ex to come and say, Hey, come on, you know, he's coming with us. <laughs> no, he's not. You know. And so many of us, we have to go through that loss of letting go of what we thought life would be, what we thought serving God would be, what we thought it would be like, we have to let it go, and we have to trust God, which is very personal. It's between you and Him. No one can come to you and say, this is what you should be doing. This is how you should be living. You should have this much fruit. No one's been in your shoes. No one has a personal walk with you like God does. Your job is to listen to God and trust Him and obey Him. And so that letting go of the loss of the past, the things that were good, and letting it go and say, well, that's not helping me to move on with what God has for me. And a lot of us struggle with that in a season of, i got to let go. i got to release it and say, I don't need you. I need what God has for me. And you never knew that while you were building the other thing. How many know what I'm talking about? So if you're struggling with let it go, letting go of the past, cut cut the rope, let it go. What was that show? Uh, Titanic, where I think they're on the the little raft, and the, the the girls on the raft, and the boy, he's in the water, freezing, and there's enough room on the raft for both of them, but she keeps him in the water. And, and she had no problem letting him go. She cried, but she let him go. He drifted off and died. Well, let that old, let that old boy go. Let the past go. Just move on. <laughs> so your flesh will come in educated with how to be successful in the flesh realm, in the world of flesh. It's like a bunch of caterpillars getting together, and you're in your cocoon, and you hear a little knock on the cocoon door and you open it up and, hey, what are you doing? I'm just metamorphosizing. Why? I don't know why exactly. I just know I'm in a season of metamorphosizing. Try that with your family when they wonder what you're doing. What are you doing? you sitting there, you should be doing this and this. You should have these markers of success. I was 33 years old. I was single, had no kids. I had an old car with 250,000 miles on it. Didn't own a house. Didn't even have a ministry really of my own. I had nothing at 33. But I did follow God to my best of my ability. And I remember going to visit young people that I used to pastor who are now in their 20s, some in their early 30s. They had nice houses they had spouses and kids and, I mean, motorbikes and cars and boats. I mean, it was success. And and I'm sitting in my little car, and that's all I have. I even, to pay for my rent, I overseen a dormitory of guys, of eight guys, so I didn't have to pay rent. I mean, I had, had nothing. And here I was doing my best to follow God. And I had nothing in the natural to show for it. Well, within 33 to 34, and th- within a couple of years, I had a wife, had a house, had a ministry, had a kid. Everything that I gave up, God gave back to me. Every dream that I let die on the vine, every dream that came out, there are dreams that God gave you that your natural man's trying to fix, trying to make happen. And you, when you let it die, God resurrects it and says, now let me do that through you instead of you do it for me. And that's a loss where the flesh can't say, "Hey, I did that. Yeah. You know some of you ladies are praying for your your husband, you know I remember uh, Rosie married Johnny and said, "I only marry a Christian man, Johnny." And he's like, "Well, maybe I'll come to church with you." And I, you can tell me if I'm right if I'm getting the story right. but so Johnny went to church for how long? A long time, wooing Rosie until he convinced her that he was a man of God, got married, and the next day he said, you know, I've been, uh, I decided I'm not going to go to church anymore. I really did that just to marry you. And now you're married to me, you're stuck with me. So now her job changed to intercession, you know, and for, I think, 20 years she prayed for him. You know, but, I mean, we all eaten of the fruit of her prayer and Johnny blessing us yeah. in our life. And he came to God and started to serve God and and... Bless many people. Well, you know, you're maybe praying for your joker husband or your joker wife, and and when they decide to get with the program and start serving God, don't stand in front of them and say, you need to thank me for interceding for you all these years. (laughs) You know, ladies just stand by and say, go run with God, buddy, I'm behind you. You the man, you the man, go, go. I think TG Jake said, you know, men are pretty simple. If your husband comes in carrying one bag of groceries... Just say, wow, you're so strong. So don't worry, next next trip you'll be carrying three bags of groceries. You know, men are pretty simple to just pet our ego a little bit, and we're in the game with you. So maybe you've laid your life down praying for your kids, praying for your family, praying for your husband or your wife to get it with the program. And when they do, you don't need to lord it over them. Just release in the run and let God get all the glory. Let God get all the credit for it. So your natural man, this body, which is your natural mind and your natural emotions. You have chemically based emotions that feel real, but they're lying. They have no truth. God does not fellowship with your natural man. He fellowships with your inner man, your inner body. Your inner body has emotions too. When you're in heaven. Let's go back to our guy in heaven who's walking around heaven. His body's laying on the earth and they're pumping on his chest and he's walking around gloriously in heaven. And do you think he has emotions in heaven? How many think there's joy in heaven? Peace? Love? Are we brainless in heaven? So we're in heaven. We have thoughts. We have minds. We have memories. We have Peace and joy, excitement. It's going to be fun worshiping God and seeing Him, I think. So, where do those emotions come from? I'm, I want to get technical here. Where do those emotions come from? You have an inner body, your inner body is connected to your outer body. Adam was made in this manner that he was both a spiritual creature and a natural creature. But when he sinned, the body itself, the outward man, and its intents and plans become unvaluable to God. God's plan of revival is coming through you where people experience God's presence, his love, his touch through you. You may be the vessel that he uses, but it's him that they're falling in love with, not with you. So you have an inward body. Now, the inner body has emotions. They're not chemically based, they're spiritually based. Love, joy. You ever hear this? someone make this statement? Sounds bipolar. I, God told me to do something, and I was so afraid. I had fear, I was sweating, and you're all thinking, yeah. That was, mm-hmm. and, but I had peace on the inside. How many of you can testify of those kind of bipolar moments? <laughs> what does that mean? Technically, how does that work? How does that work technically? That you have one voice telling you you're going to fail, you're going to die, God's not going to show up, and another voice saying, oh, this is great, so much fun. And you're in the middle thinking, who do I believe? Who do I trust? How many have been there? See, I I want to get down to some of this because there's this statement I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who is smarter than God to make a way for you to go from being one species to be transformed into another whole different creature, a whole different species? When you're saved, you're not on a path to evolve as a superhuman, like I'm a better human. That's not transformation. Transformation is from one species to another species. And so you are a whole different creature on the inside trying to grow inside of a species, another creature on the outside. And it's your job as a believer to take that outward man, the outward body, and put it on the altar. Not put it to work. Put it on the altar and let it burn. Many believers are going to get to heaven, and they'll have a whole stack of works that they accomplish. God, I led this many people to the Lord. I fed this many poor. I, I did this for you. I did that for you. I went on mission trips. And they'll have a good stack of lists. And God said, yeah, but the one thing I asked for you. The one thing. I see that meme that says he had one job? You know, the guy's supposed to paint the line, and he goes over here. It's like, all you had to do is take the paint and go... But you messed it up. Well, you have one job. He's going to say, well, my one job for you. The first job was to take your body as a living sacrifice and place it on the altar. And the living sacrifice is the key word in that. Because, you know, if you've got a dead sacrifice, there's no problem. Imagine you take a lamb. Come here, little lamb. We're going to go visit the priest today. And he says, okay, come on. And you take it to the priest and you go into the the meeting place and the priest takes out a knife and cuts his throat. Well, okay, you got me the first time. But let's say that lamb didn't die. He just got cut. And then you had to bring it the next day. Come on, little lamb, we're going to see the priest. Okay, a different priest maybe, a nicer one. (laughs) Well, after the fifth day, the lamb's going to get suspicious and start to fight you. Like, no, I ain't going with you this time. Well, that's the body you're wearing. You have to take it every day to the altar, and it knows that where you're going. That's why when, like Gary said, you go to prayer, it's like, yay, we're going to pray, change the world. I'm going to go pray in tongues. Oh, praise God. Me and my flesh celebrated when I learned I prayed in tongues. God was going to change me, and we held hands, and my flesh sang a song. We're going to the prayer closet, going to get a new car. Going to get a big house. Yes, going to get a great ministry. Going to the prayer closet. And as we went to the prayer closet, the door slammed and my flesh was on the outside or my outward body was on the outside and my inward body was on the inside with me. And me and my inner man fellowshiped with the Holy Spirit. Hour after hour, the Holy Spirit taught my inner man the deep things of God about my future, my calling. But my outward man was left unfruitful, outside twiddling his fingers and thumbs going what are you doing in there, hello hello I can't hear anything, what are you doing so you spent eight, ten hours praying and your outward man said well that was a waste of time I didn't gain anything it didn't do me any good Gary said he comes in for Friday prayer spends 8 hours here at the church praying and he says you'd be amazed how My flesh, my outward man, begins to give me all the good things it can do rather than sit and pray. Some of us, when our flesh comes up with a logical reason why we don't need to pray, we're like, thank God, you gave me good. That makes sense. And then you run off and the Holy Ghost keeps bringing you back to prayer. So it's like you're in your cocoon, just sitting there. What do you do in a cocoon? caterpillar i just sit there and i dissolve (laughs) so you get a knock on your little cocoon door hello hey what are you doing just sitting here cocooning well come on we got a group together and we got some plans and we're going to build a, a airplane so we can fly And the little caterpillar says, Well, I think that's what's going to happen to me once I transform. I'll be able to fly. Well, no, no, no. You need to do all that. We're going to try to build an airplane. Now, Joey, he tried to fly. He thought he could fly. So he climbed up to the high building, jumped off, and he splat. So Steve, he tried. So he painted on his, he got wings tattooed on his side. and, And he jumped off, and he went splat. So... Jimmy there, though, he thinks a parachute may work, and and we're thinking of different ways we can fly. See, this is what happens when we try to interfere with God's plan. We let the flesh give us its, its opinion. It will try to tell you how to do things in this world, from this world, and bring it into God as an offering of, God, this is what I did for you. This is what the flesh does. This is where all religion comes from, where you can serve God. But keep your will belonging to your flesh. Serve God, but not die to yourself. This is where all religion is built. We come to God with offerings of works, offerings, reasonings of why he should use us, why we're worth something. Listen, my friend, you're worth everything to him. You don't need to pick one pinky up, give one penny, and he loves you that much that you're worth the whole world to him. This is not about value. This is about Him leading your steps. So who's smarter than God to make a way for you to go from one species and to have us be reborn into another species? A whole different creature that that you never were before. And you still existed in that moment. It's an amazing, amazing miracle of salvation. It's an amazing miracle what God had to do to legally make a way for us to be born out of the family of Adam and into the family of God. So when you're in your cocoon, and it's not time to come out yet, where does that complaining come from? Where does all that justification, all the planning come from, all that we can do this come from? Where does that come from? That comes from your flesh, your outward body, because it wants to feel welcomed with God. It wants to feel a part of God. But how many know that God is not the father of your flesh? He's the father of your spirit. And you have this inner man that's born again. Right now it's born again. You have an inner man that's alive and the new nature is inside that inner body. And it brought it to life. So now your inner body is alive. That's why he can now sit down and talk to you and tell you the deep things of God. He couldn't do it before because your inner man was dark like your outward man is. But your man is alive now because of the new nature. But it still has to be taught. It doesn't come instantly. Let's go over to Colossians. We'll start in chapter 3, I think. We'll we'll just jump to verse 8, chapter 3. But now you yourself are to put off these. Verse 8, Colossians 3. But now you yourself are to put off these. So if someone comes to the pulpit and says, hey, I have anger issues, can you pray for me? Then what's our prayer? God, take this anger away from them. Or is our prayer, God, give them the strength to obey your word and to put off anger. (laughs) It's like the guy comes and says, I need prayer. I need you to get rid of this. I say, well, I can cast out devils. But I can't cast out flesh. Flesh must be mortified. Now God will assist you, but you still have to make the choice to cast off these things. So let me, let me say in verse 8, But now you yourself are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds So the man in heaven, he's in heaven, his body's on the earth, the paramedics are pumping his chest. He's walking around heaven. Can I preach verse 8 to him? Now, sir, I need you to put off anger. Welcome to heaven. I need you to leave anger at the door. But it's already not there. So we can't preach verse 8 once you're in heaven because it's not there. There's no anger in heaven, is there? How about wrath and malice? Blasphemy, filthy language of sitting around the throne and someone cusses. Get out of my way, blagety-blagety. I want the front seat. <laughs> Where's our ushers? We need our ushers, quick. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> go get this guy. So that's not in heaven. So why do you have to deal with it on this earth? Because you have an outward body of this flesh. That's the source of your anger, the source of your je- jealousy, envy. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. Now, this is important language because if you have to put off anger, how many can confess that when you were born again you had to still conquer anger? A few of you. Everyone has their own little pet things. Maybe strife or jealousy or, or selfishness. How many can just hold your hand and say, I had to fight something after I was saved? Okay. Okay. So you had to put it off. That means that you weren't transformed in that area. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. If you're having to resist an area of temptation, it's because it hasn't been killed yet. The fact that you have to resist it means it's still alive in you. Some of you get that next week, maybe. So you have to put it off because the born-again experience didn't put off all those things it may have stepped out of some things but there are things left that you have to address face and put off or mortify that means the transformation wasn't salvation was not the transformation salvation was the beginning of transformation but it was not the transformation otherwise the church would be full no one would be late we'd have lots of money in the church We'd have miracles and signs and wonders the moment we were saved. And not just miracles, but we would have miracles without all the garbage that we see that goes with a lot of people. When we worship God, when we're with God, it's our inner man that fellowships with him. Our outer man is left outside. Our outer man wants to constantly interrupt the inner man and say, Please include me. Let me get in with you. So much of the church world today is trying to bring your outward man into God's presence because then your outward man won't fight you on the way to church. Your outward man will be excited about going to church. And we want to be excited when we go to church. But what, what do you do the day that your outward man figures out, you know, every time you go to church, it's not about me. I don't feel good. I don't feel approved of. In fact, everyone looks at me, including God, with disdain, like I'm in the way. Let's go to another church. Like when Pastor Dave would preach and say, you need to sell your house. If you don't have time to pray, sell your big house and get a little house. You need to sell your extra car, sell your extra TV so you have time to pray. And then the spouse, the new couple that comes to church, one of them says, oh, Glory to God, I can have more of God. And the spouse, the other spouse, who isn't as hungry for God, says, "Uh, I don't like it here. There's something weird about this place. Because they can see a life of having to lay down their flesh with their spouse. (laughs) And they don't want to do that. They haven't come to that conclusion yet. (laughs) That that is following God. Am I preaching okay? So in the transformation stage, you're in the cocoon. And you got no value from your outward man. But what's more valuable to a butterfly than to be able to fly because it went through the cocoon? What a shame how many caterpillars are running around having meetings together on how to fly, how to build contraptions and ways to fly, trying to fly, instead of just flying because they don't want to go through the cocoon stage. You'll hear some people say, well, the transformation has happened. You're born again. The transformation has happened. Just walk it out. And although we believe that there are certain things that are possible the moment you're born again, which is choosing holiness. Rachel, come, please. Be my hands for a moment. Please welcome Rachel, my beautiful assistant. She's going to grab the impossible box here. This is a box of pictures of children that are born broken Uh, that need an incredible miracle. The doctors can't help them anymore. You can kind of display it to everyone. The doctors cannot help these children. Medicine can't help these children. They need a miracle from God. Now, they've searched the world looking for some place where they can take their kid for a miracle. Unfortunately, in our generation, there's no place in the world. Otherwise, we would take up an offering right now and fly all those kids there. We we may not have it, but we'd get them there. This is the impossible box. Gary took a a seed of an avocado and said to someone, said, Okay, here's your give me give me guacamole, which comes from avocado. From the seed. He was just basically saying you have to have fruit first. And so you have in you the moment you're saved. What changed? What changed when I knelt down and died to when I was born again and stood up a new creature? What changed? What changed in that moment? What, do I ha- what am I responsible to in transformation to walk it out? If you believe transformation happened the moment you're born again, then you would preach something like, hey, the moment you're saved, you're good to go. Start walking it out. Which is great for some things, except when you run to something impossible. And then you hit this impossible wall and you say, God, I can't make the impossible happen. What do I do? I can't go around it. I can't go over it. We can't be like the Tower of Babel and build this monster monument and and tower that we can reach the heavens. We can't get together as a group and make this happen. We can make many things happen as a group. It's amazing what man can do when they get together in unity. It's amazing what we can do. We've been to the moon, we've spent things to Mars. We we've got rocket ships, we got satellites. I saw a, a photo where they showed I think it was a five gig, is that right, or a five metagig or something like that, uh, back in 1960. Took a five men in a in a wheelbarrow to move it. it was so big, and they said now a five megabyte is the size of my finger, my little fingernail, and it holds as much information on that as it took a I mean. The ability for man to get together and do incredible things is incredible, but it's not impossible. And God wants to take us. Now, I'm not not preaching to anyone else. I'm not preaching to other churches, because we're excited for anyone who preaches Jesus. But don't come to me and tell me I'm preaching wrong, because I'm not speaking caterpillar language. Because my job is not to make better caterpillars. God's not interested. He's got enough better caterpillars. You can become a better caterpillar if you just go to school and get educated. You can become a better caterpillar if you just go and and learn how to work a job. You can become a better caterpillar, the best caterpillar, but you're still a caterpillar. The job of a preacher, the job for the Word of God is never the Word of God, if you read it, even though it's in your language, is not for caterpillars. It speaks to the inward man. That's why it's life, because it teaches the inward man who you are supposed to be, let me rephrase that, who you will be if you continue down this path of transformation, of cocooning, if you continue down this path. How silly is it? I mean, you've heard this. How silly is it if someone comes up to you and you're in your cocoon becoming a butterfly from a caterpillar? You're in your cocoon in the door, and you got a little window, you know, those little windows you open, you see eyeballs, you know, You open it up, and they said, hey, what are you doing? I am transforming so I can fly. Well, get out of there and come with us so we can get together. We're brainstorming how we can fly, and we're going to build a contraption. We've lost two or three guys. They died trying to fly, but we think we can make it happen. How stupid is that to someone who's trying to become a butterfly? Like, buddy, leave me alone, and I'll show you that I can fly without all the doodads and contraptions. That's the transformation we're after. Transformation is not instant the moment you're saved. Otherwise, this language we read in Colossians 3, verse 8. Now you yourself are to put off these anger. Now the guy up in heaven who just died, his body's on the earth, he doesn't have anger. So would you say that to him, put off anger? Well, why don't we say it to him, and we're saying it to him when he comes back to this earth? Hey, put off anger. Because the source of anger is his outward man, the outward body. We're not trying to fix the outward body. We're trying to kill the outward body. Now, when I say kill, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about uh, hurting yourself. I'm not talking about making yourself suffer just to suffer. The suffering is not the offering. Oh God, I'm suffering, it's so hard. That's not the offering. God's after you. Quit listening to the caterpillar body so you can fly like a butterfly. Then he says you have to put on. Let's, for time's sake, go to verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on... So if you have to put it on, it means it's not on right now. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bear with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, let's look back at these verses real quick. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little technical. But I want us to to see this. Therefore is the elect of God, verse 12, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Is that similar in your Bible? Let me see here. Do I see anointing in here? Uh, Reading people's mail? Prophesying? Do I see feeding the poor? I don't see any of that in here. I see characteristics of the inner man coming forward. See, therefore, as the elect of God, see, I have no men who are anointed. I know people who can walk in anointing. They have miracles. Not all the time, but they have miracles. I know people who can teach. This is what made me fall in love with Pastor Dave. Was he? Him and Kenneth Hagin were the only ones that didn't talk about all the stuff they were doing. They only talked about God. So when I meet a man who walks in abundance of finances, or walks in miracles, or walks in uh, revelation, but they lack in love, humility, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, that's an indication that they haven't transformed. See, the transformation are these things. I have to put them on. Where do I put them on from? Do I just read? Do I call... A 911 number and say, hey, I'd like to order uh, tender mercies. Please have it delivered to my door. Where do I find it from? Because if I couldn't get it before I was saved, where do I get it now that I am saved? See, I have to reach into the image of the new nature inside of me. The new nature has an image. It's it's the seed. It has an image in it, which is Christ. Holiness. So I have to reach into it and pull it forward forward. And bring it into being part of my life. I have to bring it forward into my inner man. This love here is not the love that the world can give you. The best loving mama in the world. The most loving person you can think of in the world. The Mother Teresa of Mother Teresa's. That's not born again. That is a natural love. And it's not even close to the love that God has for you to bring forward. The love that God has for you to bring forward is something the world cannot replace. Someone who is a loving person who spent their life cultivating being a good lover of people in a good way gets born again. And God says, you know, all that love that you have, that's all in the natural. We need to put that aside. And I want you to develop a love. Oh, no, God, I'm a lover. I cook for people. I help people. I invite people to my home. I'm like the hugger of the huggers. I'm the lover of the lovers. I got that one. Let's work on a different one. He'll say, no, 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 that is as useless to me as something bad. Because it's from the natural. When we face that point, when we realize, what do I have to offer God? And he looks at your outward man and all that it has to offer. All the good things. And says, no, I need you to put that on the shelf with the bad things. That's, that'll keep you being a caterpillar. Take all the good things and put it on the shelf beside the bad things. That's when we start to argue because the flesh can be justified in the good things. God, look what I have to offer you. I've done this, I've done that. No, the only offering I want from you is to take your flesh, your outward body, march it to the altar and put it on the altar to be sacrificed. And it's a living sacrifice, so it's going to have to do it again tomorrow. And it's going to complain along the way. Can you imagine some guy, I think I said this before, you take him to the whipping post, and, and he gets whipped in the old Roman way, and, the, and it's torturous. Then the next day, he's got to do it again. Well, the first day, you can kind of talk him into it, you know. But then the next day, he's going to fight you and argue with you. Can you imagine being a Roman soldier, and you've got to take a guy to the, the cross, make him lay down, nail his hands down. He's going to say, please don't do this. Think about what you might say. Please, i got a wife and kids. Do you ever see a bank robbery and they pull out a gun? i got a wife and kids. Don't shoot me. Well, that's your body arguing with you all the way every day to the altar. Don't take me there. I've got good things to offer. When we make the flesh just the evil or the bad things, then it makes sense. Yeah, I don't like you. I'm going to put you on there, sucker. But when it starts to argue the good things. No, I've got love to give. I've got kindness to give. I'll go to church with you. I'll serve God with you. It's trying to build a religion that God doesn't want. The offering that God wants from us is transformation. Where we take from our inner man the image that's in there right now. You have an image in you of holiness, of righteousness. You have an image in you of godliness. But it's not instant. It has to be taken from that nature and brought forward into your life. And that is the process of transformation. That we're taking what's in us and making it grow to a place that it overcomes us. And in the meantime, we're also putting to death the things of the flesh. The good and the bad. Who's smarter than God to find a way? To put you inside a whole different creature. To make you a whole different creature. But leave you there. You didn't stop existing. He loves you that much that he found a way to to put a protection around you, your soul, not your mind, will, and emotions, but your you, the life that you are, and to protect you and to help you to go from one creature to another creature and not make you stop existing. And then to ask you, hey, how about we fly now on this earth instead of waiting until we get to heaven to fly? Yeah. Well, I'm ready, God. Well, I know you say you're ready, but you're going to have to put off some things and put on some things. And you're going to have to mature in the spirit. And all of us have got excited until we ran into the cost. The cost of going through the cocoon. But when we get to the other side, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We won't think it cost us anything. We'll be glad we paid the price. So don't get stopped halfway through. If you're halfway through the cocoon, don't get out. Don't be a deformed. I mean, uh, people who stop praying, <laughs> and we all go through seasons, right? We, we pray, and then we, but people who decide, I'm done with that, are the most miserable creatures. They're a half-rotten caterpillar. They're, half their body's dissolved, the other half is strong. And they're walking around all deformed, trying to act like a caterpillar. Like, they're not happy anywhere. Get back in the prayer closet. Get back in the cocoon. Let it finish its process, because what's going to come out is someone who could fly without the help of anyone. Naturally. Just fly. You'll just fly. That's why the prophecies say there'll be a time where we'll pray for the sick. Gary said it again this morning. We'll pray for the sick. And we'll think, well, that was even hard. Why did I used to think it was so hard? Well, because we were caterpillars trying to fly before it's time. But praise the Lord, there's a time in the future. And it's difficult to imagine because we have no very few examples except from the word of on this earth of people walking in that kind of life. So many of us try to give each other something else to look up to. You should respect me because I have this, or I do that, I drive this kind of car, I live in this kind of house, I do this for God, I do that for God. And it's because we're starving for attention, because we don't feel secure in who God made us. That's part of what God's doing in you, is making you look only to Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's what we're after. Let's keep transforming. Let's not stop. Let's keep pressing in. So much beautiful things are in store. You're not wasting any time when you pray. Amen. We're going to release you with that. And if you like prayer, you're welcome to come up to the green line. We'll be happy to pray for you. Otherwise, you are released. Go change the world. Go change yourself. Transform. And we love you. We're so proud of you. Let's keep going. Amen. God bless you. You're released.